Well, this morning we'll be continuing our series in the book of James and really hoping that this has been helpful uh, for your walk with the Lord. Has this been helpful at all? Maybe a little bit? I mean, if it's not, you're like, no, it's not. Okay. Um, <laughs> just be honest. But yeah, I found it personally very helpful in my life. James is very, very practical. So he just kind of says it and it's like, wow, that's, he, he doesn't mince words. You ever notice that? <laughs> he just says it like it is. Like, whoo, we're going to see that again today. And I, I mentioned this earlier, but I so appreciate uh, Andy for bringing the message last week um, about using our words, right? We want to both praise God with our words and encourage other people. Amen. We don't want the false dichotomy of trying to do two different things and acting like it's one. God, I praise you and uh, praise you. No, 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 it's not the way it's supposed to be. It can happen. It can happen. And that's where we repent. But we want to be able to build up one another with our words um, as well as build up God. And so that was James chapter 3. Uh, we'll be in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12 this morning. I'm going to read the passage, but I'm going to allude back to James chapter 3. Because as many of us know, this is a letter that was written. And so if you're reading it, you would actually read it all at the same time. We're kind of piecemealing different sections of it. But I think it's helpful to revisit uh, what the Lord was showing James to write to the scattered Christians all over the place. So let's look at James chapter 4, though, to start off. This is verses 1 to 12. And if you have a header in your Bible or your digital Bible, it says warning against worldliness or something about not being in friendship with the world. We're going to explore that a little bit more. But let's check out verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace. To the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I know we've been praying a lot, but I want to pray again. God, I just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, I just pray that uh, all of us, myself included, God, that we could just... Just let your word settle into our hearts and our soul. God, would you show us how we could grow together? Places, God, that you want to encourage us with your word. God, places that you want to convict us, Lord, in your word. God, let's just be open to hear from you. God, would you guide my words that they might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in James chapter 4, but as I mentioned, in James 3, you'll see the 
kind of the, the part that James is writing in the letter that talks about, uh, as Andy was saying last week, we're talking about the words, the words that we're saying. Uh, there shouldn't be two kind of like things we're doing, praising God and, and tearing other people down. Uh, but then you'll also see later in part of James 3 where he talks about wisdom, um, wisdom from above and wisdom from below. I actually uh, preached on this, I don't know, maybe like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Um, and I was just revisiting that. And I thought it would be very helpful just to revisit a couple of the verses before chapter 4 because it all goes together when you're reading the letter. So I'm just going to revisit James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, and that flows right into 4. James said this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. James doesn't waste words. He just says it like it is. Wow. That was my commentary, by the way. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Woo, doesn't that sound great? The harvest of righteousness part, not the demonic, unspiritual. Yeah, sorry, be more specific, right? So what's going on here is there's some real fights going on among Christians. Does that ever happen? <laughs> it can. It can, right? We have to be honest. There's some fights going on. There's some quarreling going on. The wording in chapter 4 when it talks about quarrels and fights among you is this picture in the original language of someone being like armed for battle. So it's like it's going down. Like someone's going to pay. Someone's going to hurt. Someone's probably going to die. Like it's this kind of intensity. And these are among the brothers and sisters of Christ. Which as I'm sure as we're reading this, it's easy to be like, well, that shouldn't be. I don't think fighting and having that kind of malicious heart armed for battle, I'm going to destroy you, quarreling. I don't think that's right. And James is making that point, but it existed, and that's why the Holy Spirit is leading James to write this. And he says, what causes these quarrels and what causes these fights among you? And as you look at the scripture, it's showing that they're wanting things, they're coveting things that someone else's, somebody else's have, and instead of maybe asking God about it, they're just fighting, coveting, as we saw in uh, chapter 3, being Jealous. It uses the word bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in the heart. Don't raise your hand, but I know I have been jealous of what other people have. <laughs> Are you with me this morning? You ever want what someone else's has? You're like, come on. And maybe, maybe it's not like oh, I'm going to fight them with my words. But how many of you know we can do that in our heart, right? Right? James is making a strong picture that this is building. It's like these passions are at war within you. I mean, so we got, we got like arm for battle fight, and then we got war, which makes sense. Things are escalating. So you desire, do not have. So what do they do? They talk about it and come to a peaceful reconciliation issue? No. It says, so you murder. <laughs> you see where this is going? Like this is what's happening. It's like this kind of fighting and internally is warring. And these are among Christians. He's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about this is what's going on within the churches. Come on, this is not what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has called us to do. But as we know, if we let sin, pride, and selfish ambition, bitterness, jealousy, rage, all these kind of things build, it's possible to get here, right? It's possible. 
And sometimes you're like, well, it's possible and someone I don't like. But if you have to be honest, let's not try to think of someone you think that does this very well, meaning they're very prideful, selfish, and jealous. We always can find that person, right? It's always not us. It's someone else. But let's look and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my heart as I'm reading through the scripture today that maybe you want to point out in my life? Hence, we don't fall into the trap of trying to be a law bringer, a judge bringer on someone else's life when we're not letting God work in our life. Amen. There's an example of this covetingness, this, this desire, this war that led to literal death in the Old Testament. And it comes right in the book of James. I'm sure some of you are aware of this story. This is James, oh, sorry, not James, Genesis, beginning of the Bible. Genesis 4, verses 1 to 8. So the first two uh, people that God created, he created Adam, and he created Eve. And then they had children. They had Cain and they had Abel. And as we know, Adam and Eve decided that they knew it was better than what God told them to do. Obviously, the serpent, Satan, was tempting them, but they thought they knew better than what God had. God said, don't eat from any tree in the garden. Uh, you can have everything else. You're in paradise. You're with me. I literally walk with you in the garden. There's nothing else you need. You have me in paradise. But they decided to disobey God. And as we see in Scripture, and we see the outpouring of that, we see the sinful broken down impact in our relationship with God, with sinful decision, with others, and even with our own planet. And you see that the first two kids that were born, Cain and Abel, that one of them really wanted to seek after God, but another one was mastered by his sin so quickly. Let's look at this in verses 1 to 8. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the, of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very, very angry and his face fell other words will say, you became very downcast, depressed, discouraged. Verse 6, it says, The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Like, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so discouraged? I mean, obviously God knows, but he likes to ask questions. <laughs> if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We'll just pause here before we get to verse 8. So I don't know about you, but it seems like a pretty real-life example of what James is talking about, right? These are literally not just brothers in Christ, like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. These are literally brothers. I mean, they were so close to the Garden of Eden and, like, everything perfect that it's clear that sin does not have, like, a slow uh, progression down into, like, complete demonic. Like, you can just get there immediately. Are you with me? <laughs> you can go to the lowest level of sin very quickly. And you see that. Cain is in a place, all we know is that Abel brought an offering and he brought the best version of what he was a shepherd. He brought the best, the first, which means he's trusting God that, you know, if I give you the first portion and if there's no more sheep, like, that's all I have. I'm just trusting you with everything. We see that Cain brings just an offering on the ground. We don't know any details on it, but they just brought it. And God had favor on Cain, uh, say, or Abel, but not on Cain. And so God comes to Cain, which is awesome, and is talking with him. And I really wish there was a verse like 7b. 
that said, as God talked to Cain and Cain heard from God, then Cain went and spoke to God about what was going on in his heart and then they talked about it and Cain found healing in God. Wouldn't that be great? Right? I don't know, it seems like a really good place. Like God's literally talking to him. Maybe Cain said something, but from the scripture, we don't hear anything about Cain responding to God. He's hurting, he's angry, something going on there with his brothers. Obviously he must be coveting or jealous or something. Because instead of going to God with this feeling of being downcast, this feeling of not having regard on his offering, you know what he does? He goes and finds his brother. In verse 8, it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Instead of speaking to God, he went to Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. That's the end of verse 8. Is that not incredibly tragic? Literally, the two first brothers, you know, born of a, a man and a woman, the first two brothers, well, the older one rises up and kills the younger one. And God was having a conversation with Cain, but Cain did not want to see him to respond to God. He instead worked out what was in his heart, and he put it in action against his brother. He killed his brother. James is saying something very similar. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. <laughs> you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, and get this is back in James, by the way, um, because you do not ask. <laughs> so here's all this horizontal fighting going on. God's like, I know what you need. Why don't you include me in this process, right? Why don't you ask from me? Why don't we just pause this horizontal attack on one another and vertically start talking to God in prayer and bringing up what you need? But even James says beyond that, there's a couple issues. One, you're not asking God. But two, when you are asking God, you're doing it with the wrong motives. Three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Do not ask God. You're getting lost in a fight. Do not ask God. But then even when we could have asked God, James is saying you would do it with the wrong motivation, which once again shows you that the heart of the matter, as you see throughout Scripture, is a matter of the heart, right? It's a heart issue here. You're not asking God. You're just pridefully doing your own thing with selfish ambition. And then even if you did ask, you would ask with the wrong motives. How many times have I, in prayer, asked God for things I just wanted for me? You ever do that? So quickly, I'm just be, I'm not talking about, I'm just going to talk about me because I want to, I want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about you. <laughs> but yeah, how many times, God, I need this. I need that. And God, they're not really needs, you are just wants, and I want them so bad. But if I say them as needs, maybe I can trick you. So you can't trick God. I'm sure we've done this before though, right? I remember when I was a little kid, I think it was five or six in Connecticut. I was just praying so hard. God, give me this fire truck that when I wake up from this nap, I don't want to be in. It will be right at the bottom of the bunk bed. When I woke up, it wasn't there. And I was just shocked. Because I was a little kid and I was thinking like, oh, just pray and ask for things. I didn't know at that time, praying for and for asking for things just purely for myself. I didn't want to like share a fire truck or give a fire truck. I just wanted it for me. As we grow to be older and adults, we can sometimes have that same desire, right? God, I just want all my prayers to be about me getting something. Are you with me? Not, not in a way to glorify God, 
not in a way to see your great commission fulfilled, not in a way to go help the poor or serve the widows or the orphans as we see in James 1.27. Lord, we could have a prayer, God, I got a lot of needs going on. You already know all my needs. Lord, would you give me today your daily bread, right? And forgive me as I have forgiven others. That was a prayer that Jesus invited his disciples to pray. But if our prayer life isn't aligning with what Christ has given us, then oftentimes our prayer life looks like just like everyone else in the world, except they're not praying, they're just doing exactly what they want. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We'll see this throughout scripture, but pride, and James mentions it, keeps us disconnected from a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Would you agree? Pride? And it's not new. We'll see it manifest in different ways. I was talking to Aaron just this, uh, this week. Um, I was just talking about uh, cell phones, actually. Uh, I remember, and specifically cameras. So in 2005, I had opportunity to go with Team Mission International down to Ecuador to help build a church building, meaning we did work and then the locals redid all our work. Oh, I can't say that. Sorry. Um, that's what, we didn't know how to use a plumb line. We couldn't build straight walls. We're 16. Anyways, we did it. Uh, it was great. Um, but I brought a camera, and, and, and some of you, you'll know this because you're older than me. Remember the cameras? They just had like the little, what, like film? You remember that? And you go through security, and you worry that like, oh, security like scans can wipe your film, that kind of thing. So I brought one of those because that's what we had. Now, they did have digital cameras, um, and, but they were very expensive at this time. Um, and so a couple of people had that. But I had a film camera with like 18 rolls of film. So I took pictures while I was there, and I love photos, big in the photos. And it was cool. I took photos of everything I saw, people, uh, volcanoes, mountains, uh, farmers. It was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But it's interesting as technology has gone more and more, and I really do enjoy technology, so this isn't an anti-technology speech or anything. But once you start having cell phones, you're like, I want to take photos, right? And initially, cell phones only had cameras on the back side of them. Are you with me? And you would take really grainy photos of other people. <laughs> or you try to do these and you had no clue if you're in the photo. It's like. But eventually they're like, why don't we put a camera on the front? So then you have two cameras. And for some of you, you're like, is there anything else except a cell phone with two cameras? If you're young enough, you'll be like, that's the only camera that exists. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm sure there's good reasons, maybe FaceTime or Zoom. But it's very interesting that, because uh, I really enjoyed looking at technology, that the cameras on the front of like leading uh, phones are actually coming closer and closer on the megapixel, like the value of the picture, as they are on the outside camera. Meaning there's so much use of cameras that take pictures of yourself, of me, 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 me. I don't even have time to use my other camera to take pictures of you because I'm just spending all my time taking photos of me. Does this relate to anybody? <laughs> I'm not, I, I love cameras. You're using them, That's great. I take selfies. I just took a selfie with my daughter, Abigail. But it is interesting that so much of our culture just pushes on me. And it's not new. It's a heart issue, not a camera issue. It's a heart issue. Amen? It's a heart issue. But if we're not careful, we can focus everything on myself and not on others. And when we do that, we can get into these places of covetous, greed, selfless ambition. Instead of thanking God for what we have, we're actually disgruntled and don't go with him in prayer or ask with the right motives. So as we move on through this passage in verses, uh, as we're going through to, let's see, verse four and beyond, James switches then to friendship with God 
or friendship with the world. And he uses really strong language. This is verses 4 to 10. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And you see James here using the word adulterous, which would have led back to, especially with the Jewish Christians in the Old Testament, the Israelites, who were supposed to be in this wonderful covenant with God. God would make a covenant with them, and he had to keep redoing covenants with them. But as we look at the Israelites, oftentimes they would just go and start following other gods, lowercase g gods, and other in other cities and other countries. Remember this? Right? So it's like, all right, God, we are with you. Uh, we're in a covenant relationship with you. And then uh, almost like the illustration of a marriage. And you have God, who obviously is the perfect person in the marriage. Uh, and you have Israel, like the whole people, uh, kind of being like the, the, the bride in some ways. And it's just like, all right, I'm here for you. I'm going to care for you. Uh, I jealously love you and care for you in a very healthy way. And oftentimes, most of the times, the Israelites would go astray. This picture of adultery, this picture of being unfaithful to the covenant that God has set up. And so James is using a very similar wording that would have spoke well to the, the, the audience, those who are Jew receiving about this adultery. That instead of saying, I have a relationship with God, but my life is spent doing something else, James is just calling that out. He's like, is your friendship with God or is it with the world? Now, I want to just make it very clear God makes it very clear that we are supposed to love God and love people and that Jesus died for the whole world. Amen? So it's not, okay, friendship with God, hate the world. I got it, Jim. I'm going to rock this out. There's already enough Christians that do that on the media. We don't need any more. Amen? <laughs> we need to love people radically. But it has to do with the relationship. Am I more concerned about my relationship, my friendship with God, my loyalty to God in this covenant relationship that Jesus has made? on the cross and death and resurrection? Am I more concerned about that and living in that? Or am I just trying to fit in and just be like everybody else? There's a, there's a temptation to do that. There really is. Just to fit in and look like everybody else. But James is speaking very strongly against this. He says, or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit so we'll see in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, that he has made to dwell in us. So he's coming on with some strong words. I, I was reading it this morning and reflecting on it. And I was thinking, wow, Lord, forgive me. I just spending some time in prayer and saying, God, would you forgive me? Because all of us have gone astray. All of us can get distracted by things. I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm like, I just want to make sure that my heart's in the right place before I even talk about our hearts together up front. So I spent some time in prayer. Asking the Lord, create in me a clean heart. Just like that song we were singing this morning. Thanks, Mark, for leading us in that. Would you create in me a clean heart? Before I talk about other people having a clean heart, Lord, I want to, I need you today. God's word makes it clear. There is mercies, new mercies every morning. Amen? New mercies, meaning there's a reason why there's new mercies. We need those mercies. <laughs> At least I need those mercies. Maybe you guys got your life all figured out and it's perfect, which I know it's not. <laughs> But we need those mercies. But get this. James is making a strong, strong, like he's just hitting, he's just not, he's not holding back the punches. But then he's also showing us that there's a solution. There is hope. Thank you, God, there is hope. Because where it's going right now, it's like who of us could stand before God? Who of us hasn't fallen in love or made friendship with the world over God? All of us were in that place. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. 
<laughs> yes, God does not give up on a covenant relationship with us. Amen. So we can screw it up so bad, and we have, and God will not give up on you. Thank you, God, that you are committed to this covenant more than we are, because on our own, we cannot hold it together. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride is so dangerous that James is saying it here and quoting that when we live in a place of just prideful indifference towards God and towards others, it's not like that's an acceptable thing. I hope God's okay with that. God's like, you're literally in opposition to me. One of his angels thought that pride was a good way to go, and he decided he didn't just want to be God, be for God. He wanted to be God. And so out of pride, he went and wanted to do that, and God casted him out, and a third of the angels, his name's Satan, devil, Lucifer, he's just an angel. Pride was in direct opposition to God. If we're in that place, my encouragement to you and to me is to repent, to ask for forgiveness, amen? You know why? Check this out. It doesn't end there. God opposes the proud. If that's all it was, then we're just screwed over. It's bad because we're all prideful in different ways. We have to be honest. But gives grace to the humble. Sometimes people describe grace as God riches at Christ's expense or unmerited, unmerited, uh, that's not the right word, marinated. I'm thinking of barbecue chicken. Unmerited favor. Yeah, there we go. All right, I do public speaking. You guys can just trust what I say, so. But God's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Mercy is where we get off of something that we did wrong. You're going to jail, and then the judge has mercy on you. You were wrong, but now you're pardoned. Grace is something different. Grace is something that's beautiful in Christ that's even beyond anything we ever could do. God gives us grace, amen? It's so good, and he says he gives grace to the humble. And so as we're singing that song this morning, creating me a new heart, God, move me from a place of pride and humility. Forgive me. There is grace to be, ha- be found for you in that moment. He continues to submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's some teaching you'll see in churches where they just focus all on the devil. Like the devil is some kind of opposing power to God. The devil's not an opposing power. The devil's a defeated fallen angel, amen? <laughs> defeated fallen angel. Meaning like he already is defeated because of what Jesus has done on the cross. <laughs> that what the devil is accomplishing or trying to do... <laughs> The Holy Spirit, the one that the Lord jealously yearns over, is greater than the devil in this world. Amen? So we do not have to fear the devil's works. We do want to be wise to him, though, because he does exist. Like a roaring lion, he's looking for people to destroy. He's out. He's like trying to look for families to destroy, marriages, uh, churches. He is on the prowl. Whatever God made beautiful, he wants to try to destroy. But God is greater. So we don't need to fight the devil on our own strength. No, here we go. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Number one, are you with me? Resist the devil, and you know what's going to (laughs) happen? He will flee from you. He's not casually walking away. He's not tiptoeing away. It says he will flee from you. That is a posture of quick pursuit in the opposite direction. Come on. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't say if you get your life all perfect and humble and make it all right in your own way, then maybe God will notice you. It says just draw near to God. He is like a heavenly 
He is our heavenly father. Think of a good parent. Maybe you had a great mom or a great dad or whatever. Or if you didn't, maybe think of someone else, grandparent, uncle, whoever. But if you screwed up and you went to them, a good parent doesn't draw away from their child when they come to them, even after messing up everything, right? They come in closer and they listen. I remember when I was younger, I've shared this story before. Uh, when I was in Connecticut, my dad was really in the fish tanks. I don't know if anyone's in the fish tanks, but we had a fish tank in almost every single room. It seems dangerous with kids. Now I'm thinking about this, I'm like, this seems like a hazard. I had a fish tank in my bedroom with my brother, and there's one in Pete's room, there's one in the living room, there's one in the office, there's one in the basement. I think we had five. The fishes were taking over. <laughs> it was an uprising, quarreling, I got an out of, no, I'm just kidding. Anyways, but I remember one time I was just taking a slingshot in my room because it seemed like a good idea, and I just let it go. I didn't look. I'm like, woo and went over there, and then it cracked. It was a little crack right into the fish tank, like a spider crack. So you know what I did? I hid what I did from my dad, because I know he loves fish tanks, and I took a bunch of little stickers, and I started putting it over the crack. <laughs> if this isn't a depiction of how foolish it looks when we try to hide our sin from God, I don't know what else would work. <laughs> but you know the interesting thing about glass? Same with sin. If you let sin grow and don't deal with it, do you know it just keeps expanding? So the, the cracks started getting bigger and bigger, and that meant more stickers. I was actually in the sticker books. That was a thing back in the day. I don't know if anyone got into this. I would trade stickers with people, neighbors and everything. We had stickers. So I had a lot of stickers. Let's put them all on there, you know, trying to fix what I did wrong on my own strength. Eventually, my dad sees that half the water <laughs> is out of the fish tank and the rug is soaked. He's a smart guy. So I needed to talk with him. But you know the thing cool thing about my dad? My dad didn't run away from me when I had to deal with my problem of breaking the fish tank and then hiding and lying about it. He came close. And you know what he did? He forgave me and he helped fix, I think we had to get a new one, get a new fish tank. Isn't that what our Heavenly Father does? He is not going to run away from you. He is not going to be uh, surprised by our sinful decisions. Uh, surprised by how pride has ruined our life in some ways. This is why Jesus came to the world to die, that we could be set free. Let's see where we're at with time. Yeah, we'll, we'll go on to the third section. There's a lot of things I can say in here. Oh, I guess we'll go to verse 10. It says, humble, once again, I'm back on pride and humility, but humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. So much of our time can be spent on trying to exalt ourselves, And it's encouraged in our culture to do that, right? Make a LinkedIn profile that can impress people and show people how you're better than other people, right? Make a, make a final uh, keystone project in your, in, your, in your senior year so that way you outperform and can be seen as a leading person. Now, it's not wrong to do well, I'm not saying that. But if our hearts in it, are in that, are you with me? I'm better than anyone else because I went to college. I got a 4.0. I got a better job. I get paid more, right? I have more cars. I have more materials. I have more knowledge. Whatever, you know, we can just get into that. And it's not necessarily bad to be good at things. I'm not saying don't do things with excellence for the Lord. But if our hearts are thinking that's our identity, then we're just going to slip back into this pride thing where we're like, you know what? <laughs> we don't need God. We're actually better than God. But we've seen what that did in Cain's life. We've seen that what that's done in the devil's life. We do not want to be in that place. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Meaning at the right time, God will bring you up which usually is not our timeline. <laughs> you ever notice that God's timeline is often not our timeline? <laughs> he will exalt us. So if you're going to boast about anything, 
boast in the Lord. If you're going to encourage anybody about anyone's accomplishments, encourage someone else's accomplishments. Are you with me? Don't make yourself the selfie of every single conversation. I was so blessed to be prayer walking this week with Aaron. And uh, he spent like 15, 20 hours preparing a message he's not delivering this morning. But I think it was going to be really good. <laughs> I'm sure it would have been. But something that Aaron does, which I love about him, is he's really big into prayer. Like daily prayer. And I don't know if you know this, but he spends uh, every week, he usually commits to praying for all the members and regular attenders of the church body. He prays for you by name. Isn't that awesome? If you're going to boast about someone, boast about someone else in the Lord. He so loves each one of you so much that he's like, hey, Jim, you want to join me as we prayer walk? I'm going to be prayer walking. He does this regularly. And he's like, we can just take the list of all the regulars and we'll just alternate and we'll just pray together. And so like, yeah, Aaron, I'd love to join you in that. This is his normal routine. Whew, what a pastor that truly cares for people. And so we got to pray. And as we're going through that list, I was just so thankful. I was thinking each one of you by name. It's so cool. I was thinking, wow, there's so many great examples in this church body of people who live out their life in humility and service. And two of them I just came to mention as I was thinking, I literally said this in prayer, Lord, help me be more of a servant that serves with humility like Carol and Harold Hoyt. And then I said, Lord, bless Bob and Jenny Snow, and I pray that I would have humility like Bob and Jenny Snow to serve others this week. You with me? We got examples right in here. So I just want to encourage you, and we could keep going. But I was just going through the list with Aaron, and I was thinking, man, we have such great examples of people that want to put Jesus first, are completely fine with no recognition, no, no fanfare, uh, no acknowledgement. They're just wanting to serve God and serve people. If there's widows or orphans, you know these two couples would be there serving, just like James says. Let's be more like that, amen? Let's be more like Christ. Christ came to serve, not to be served. If there's anyone in the world that literally could be like, you need to serve me, it would be Jesus. He's perfect. He's God. He's our creator. But he actually came to model for us what it looks like to serve one another. Lastly, in the third section, I broke this down. Uh, I guess my sections are <laughs> don't fight. Go to God and ask in the right way. Second thing was friendship with God or friendship with the world. You can decide. And then the, last, the third section is use our words to build up others and let God be the judge. Andy spoke about this last week so well. Your conclusion, I remember you just mentioned, let's praise God this week. And literally, I think you said, as we go into the fellowship hall, you made a very practical fellowship hour. Let's encourage one another with our words. You say something like that? Yeah, we're seeing that right here. James is having an issue. It's like, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And James is making this point that if we're not careful... Pride can take over that we think we are the judge and the law bringer. Is that not deception? Because who is the judge and who's the law bringer? God. It's not us. So when we try to take the place of God, that's what pride does. When we try to take the place of God, it doesn't actually work. But we think in our hearts it will. It's a deceptive lie. Sin is. He's saying that we'll then go and treat people. Not, that's the interesting thing. When we replace ourselves with God... We don't flow in the greatest commandments of loving God and loving people. You ever notice that? We think we could do life better than God could. But when we even attempt to do it in our own minds, we end up speaking evil against one another. We end up judging one another. 
we end up being self-righteous on our own. We end up being like a lot of the religious leaders in the Bible that were sinning, but when they actually went in front of other people would say, I'm better than you are. I remember one time there was religious leaders in the scripture Jesus would talk about, and they were going to, to prayer. This religious leader is like, I am so glad <laughs> I am not like this tax collector, which were like pretty bad in that time. This tax collector, this sinner. I'm so glad, God, that I'm not like this sinner. Anybody see anything wrong with that prayer? And then the tax collector comes in and says, essentially, I've been a wicked. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Anyone notice the difference between those two approaches? If we're not careful, we can do it in a very smug way. And a lot of times people don't notice. God notices. I've heard it. I've heard it. I've done it too. I've heard it though. There's churches in our country that are probably making bad decisions. They're in the media. There's ones that I've heard it. I'm so glad that I'm at this church and not at this church because we're just so much better. Yeah, we're not that far off from being a Pharisee. Right? God, I'm so glad I'm not like these sinners. Well, just to let it make it really, really clear for everyone this morning, all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. If we ever think for somehow we can arrive at a place of salvation apart from grace and God alone, we're no different than Cain. No different than Lucifer that thought they could be God without God. We can't. I want to invite up the musicians at this time. Uh, so we'll be wrapping up in a time of just praise and worship. I'm so thankful that there's grace this morning. Amen. Because I was just reading this, I just immediately went to prayer. I read it over and I was like, oh, wretched man Jim is. I am a sinner. I need Jesus. I desperately need you. There's a new creation in Christ, but if we're not careful, we can revert to old thinking, old ways, old patterns. We need Jesus each and every day. I'm so thankful that God, when he looked at us, did not judge us from afar from heaven, but he came and died for our sins. Are you thankful for that this morning? Man, he had all the right. He could have just sent the wrath of God, which we deserve, destroyed us all. It says at the end of this, there's one who is the lawgiver and the judge who is able to save and to destroy. And that's God. He's able to do that. Ultimately, we are just sent apart from God because of our sin, but God in his mercy and his grace, he came that we might have forgiveness in Jesus. The same forgiveness that we received this morning in Christ is the same forgiveness God wants us to share with our brothers and sisters, amen? So if you've got people in your family that are just a complete wreck or in the church family that you don't get along with, you might not be thinking, I'm not pulling a cane, Jim. I'm not going to go kill someone this week, but I'm really glad you're not going to do that. Just want to get out of the way. But Jesus said, if we even have murder or hate in our heart, it's the same as murder. Is there anyone in your life that if you could push a button and make them disappear, you would? There's some murder stuff going on in there. I encourage you to spend some time in the Lord this morning as we're singing. They invite God to create a new heart. And maybe we can do that actually as a prayer of a song. Mark, do you mind if we just sing creating me a new heart, a cappella or whatever? Is that okay? Aaron, we need you so bad. If you're watching this, come and sick. Send in the reinforcements. Absolutely. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. I was just wondering. 
I just thought, let's have a, we did it at the beginning. If you came in late, that was actually the beginning of our worship set. But to have an opportunity, we don't need to learn more knowledge about being prideful or humble. We need to have a time with our living Savior to let him, like a good surgeon, show us in our hearts what are the things that are off. Last scripture, and then Mark can sing this if he wants. But Psalm 139, 23 to 24. David said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David's inviting God to come search his heart and not have him be the judge of what's good or wrong in his life, but let God be the judge. Are you with me? So let's have a moment to do that together.